Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone had a good week. I'm excited to get started. If you hear a cricket in the background, it's because there's one stuck in my shop here somewhere. And he's, he's having a field day over there. So let's go over a few things first. I'd like to do a quick review. After today's review, I think what I'm going to start doing is just uh, make the reviews, past chapter reviews, a little smaller and keep going smaller. And uh, two or three chapters that we're at, I'll try to give more in-depth reviews of them so we don't lose track of what's going on. Because the book is getting very good and there was a lot going on. And I did some rereading on uh, chapter 6 just to see what's coming ahead. And there's lots lots to cover. So this might be a long podcast this morning. So I hope everybody's ready. So we'll go right back to the very beginning just to get, a, get, get uh, everybody on the same page again. Uh, chapter 1, we got introduced to, to Watson. And basically Watson is narrating the whole story of Sherlock Holmes and his adventures. Watson came from war-torn. He was war-torn, looking for a roommate, meets his friend Stanford, introduced to Holmes, and they agree to be roommates. So the, 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 two, the three characters in chapter one are Holmes, Watson, and Stanford, and that's how they got together in chapter one. Chapter two, Holmes and Watson meet at Baker Street. They like the apartment. They get it together. And they start getting to know each other as uh, as time goes along. Uh, Watson takes it upon himself to do a character profile on Holmes, showing his cognitive limits. And Holmes enlightens Watson on the science of, of deduction, which is the name of the chapter, Science of Deduction. Watson brings out the May 4th date, which is significant to the time of the crime. This was also the same day that the... The letter was hand-delivered by the commissioner to uh, Watson, which he gave to Holmes. And the characters introduced in this chapter is just the commissioner himself, which gave the letter to the uh, to Watson. Chapter 3, Holmes asks Watson to read the letter. The letter is from Detective Gregson, which explains the detail of the crime, the location, the identity of the victim, which was Enoch Greber from Cleveland. And after some convincing... Holmes, uh, of some coaxing and convincing from Watson, Holmes agrees to meet up with Gregson because at first he didn't want to have any part of it because he knows they're not going to get no credit for it. Basically, they're, they're going to steal the whole show on him. So, so they head off to the crime scene. They, they meet with uh, Gregson on the strade. And upon this, they discover Enoch had a partner. His name was John Strangerson. Through some letters they found in a, one of his books. Uh, they discover a woman is involved because of the wedding ring that fell out of the, from the body when it was lifted up. And they, they also come to the conclusion that the whole crime is based on revenge from the German word Rach, which sounds like Rach when you read it in English. And lastly, in, that, in chapter 3, Holmes wants to meet the detective who uh, discovered the body. Um, another thing, too, in chapter 3, the, the characters that got introduced in Chapter 3 are uh, Gregson, 
Lestrade. But Lestrade was introduced in chapter two because of the visitors. He was a constant visitor, which I forgot to mention, by the way, was uh, one of uh, Holmes's visitors when um, they were trying to establish their place in her apartment. And, and Holmes always crossed the living room and asked uh, Watson to leave the living room when his visitors came over. And Lestrade, the little rat-faced fella, he came over quite often. So he's already been introduced into the book. So now the two of them are together. And uh, they go over to the crime scene together and they have their back and forth there. And then lastly, in Chapter 3, Holmes is asking to meet uh, Detective Rance or Sergeant Rance. So Chapter 4 comes in with the introduction of John Rance. And because uh, he's the one that discovered the body, and they also had the uh, he had the suspect in hand, and he let him go because the suspect was acting like a drunken idiot. And then uh, so John Ranches just soon off shipped him off, get him out of his hair basically. And then uh, in chapter four, also Holmes uh, discovers that the reason why the or Watson asks Holmes why would the would the uh, Suspect come back to the scene of the crime and Holmes firmly believes it because of the, the ring, the wedding ring. So he vows to use the wedding ring as bait to get the uh, suspect closer to him for capture. The new characters in this chapter are John Rance, the detective, his partner, Mulcher. I think it's Mulcher. Mercher. John Mercher, I do believe it is. John Mercher. And the uh, other characters introduced in chapter four is the suspect himself. And as you know, we still haven't got any identity on the suspect or probably have just a few clues of what he's dressed like and things like things of that nature. Then we come to chapter five where Holmes puts an ad in the paper to lure the suspect in with the, uh, in the lost and found section. And it turns out a young man disguised as an old woman shows up. And we're led to believe Holmes has been hoodwinked. I kind of like on the fence on that one. I just can't see how he cannot see that uh, this person was an actor. But we're going to go with that, with that line of thought for now. But there are a couple of things. Like he was surprised about the footfall. He was uncertain about the harsh voice of the woman. And, and basically... Holmes is kind of looking at this uh, whole character as, what's going on here? Something doesn't sit right with him on it. So anyways, we think he's hoodwinked. And uh, like I said, he gets a look of surprise on his face when he sees the woman. Um, when Holmes makes a comment sharply about the address the old woman gave to uh, Watson, the old woman turned to, her, to Holmes sternly. And says, the gentleman asked me for the address. Basically telling Holmes to mind your business or mind your P's and Q's, you know. So the old woman leaves the, leaves the apartment with the ring in hand. Holmes quickly decides to follow and comes to the conclusion that the woman was just a good actor and they have been fooled. And Holmes admits this to Watson. And then uh, at the end of the chapter of chapter five, he's kind of going over the whole thing in his mind. Basically, think what happened here? How did this? How did this all come to be? So now we're going to go on to start at chapter six, 
And chapter 6 is, is it, it's a little bit long, but we can get through it. Um, I'm excited to get into it. And I'll stop every now and then when I have uh, something important to pick up or tell you. So let's begin. Chapter 6. Tobias Gregson shows what he can do. So it sounds interesting already. The papers next day were full of the Brixton mystery, as they termed it. Each had a long account of the affair, and some had leaders upon it in addition. There was some information in them which was new to me. I still retained in my scrap of numerous clippings and extracts bearing upon the case. Here is a condensation of a few of them. So we condensed the, the information into one little, kind of like a notebook. The Taylor Telegraph remarked that the history of the crime there had been seldom been a tragedy which presented stranger features. The German name of the victim, the absence of all other motives, and the sinister inscription on the wall all pointed to the direction of political refugees and revolutionists. The socialists had many branches in America, and the deceased had, no doubt, infringed their unwritten laws and been tracked down by them. After alerting early to the Darwin theory, the principles of Malthus, and the Ratcliffe Highway murders, the article concluded by admonishing the government and advocating a closer watch over foreigners in England. So basically what they're saying in the paper is that uh, these two American fellas, the, he, the Drebber got murdered because of some uh, unsavory characters from America coming over and uh, enacting their unwritten laws, basically, enforcing their unwritten laws. And they're, the paper is deploying the government of England to uh, keep a better watch over these people that are coming in the country. So moving forward, the standard commented upon the fact that the lawless outrages of the sort usually occurred under a liberal administration. They arose from unsettling of the minds of the masses and a consequent weakening of all authority. The deceased was an American gentleman who had been residing for some weeks in the metropolis. He had stayed at the boarding house of M. Caparnche in, in Torquay Terrace in Camberwell. Once again, he stayed at the boarding house of M. Carponche in Torquay Terrace, Camberwell. He was accompanied as traveled by his private secretary, Mr. Joseph Stangerson. There it is. There's another character we've heard back in chapter 3 or 4 where they discovered the body. And Joseph Stangerson was on one of the handwritten letters addressed to him from, uh, from an American company in the, uh, I think it was a state. Something to do with the uh, stock market or something. The two bid due to their landlady upon Tuesday the 4th. And departed to Ouston Station with the avowed intention of catching the Liverpool Express. So they were, they left their apartment on the 4th. They're, wait, 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 that doesn't make any sense. The two had bid to do to her landlady Tuesday the 4th and departed to Euston Station in which avowed intention of catching the Liverpool Express. Well, that's a little bit of a conflict there because how can they be leaving on the 4th when they were murdered the night of the 3rd? Must be missing something here. The two had bid adieu to their landlady upon Tuesday. The fourth 
instant and departed to Houston Station with the avowed intention of catching the Liverpool Express. Let's just keep moving forward here. There's something, I'm missing something here. We'll see what happens. They were afterwards seen together on the platform. Nothing more is known of them until Mr. Drebber's body was, as recorded, discovered in an empty house in Brixton Road, many miles from Houston Station. How he came there, or how he met his fate, are questions which are still involved in mystery. Nothing is known of the whereabouts of Strangerson, or Strangerson. We are glad to learn that Mr. Lestrade and Mr. Gregson of Scotland Yard are both engaged upon the case, and it is confident, confidently anticipated that these well-known officers will speedily throw light upon the matter. I can just see Sherlock shaking his head when he's reading all this. The Daily News observed that there was no doubt as to the crime being a political one. The despotism and the hatred of liberalism which animated the continental governments have been the effect of our driving to our shores a number of men who might have made excellent citizens were they not soured by the recollection of all that they had, under, had undergone. So basically you're saying that the, when immigrants come on over to London, the government turns them so bad that they become murderers. <laughs> you gotta love them newspapers, I tell you. <laughs> Among these men, there is a stringent code of honor, any infringement of which was punished by death. Every effort should be made to find a secretary, Stangerson, and to ascertain some particulars of the habits of the deceased. A great step had been gained by the discovery of the address at the house which he had boarded, a result which entirely due to the acuteness energy of Tobias Garrison of Scotland Yard. So, as like usual, it, even back then, the newspapers had a way of just putting their own opinions and everything and assuming everything is always related to uh, how crappy the government is. Some things will never change in life, folks, and that's one of them. Sherlock Holmes and I read these notices over together at breakfast and it appeared to afford him considerable amusement, which we knew that because they're giving uh, uh, Lestrade and Gregson full... Full credit. I told you that whatever happened, Lestrade and Gregson would be sure to score, he says. That depends on how it turns out, I said. Oh, bless you, it doesn't matter in the least. If the man is caught, he will all be in account of their exertions. If he escapes, it'll be in spite of their exertions. It's heads I win, tails you lose. Whatever they do, they will have followers, no matter what. What on earth is this, I cried for. At this moment, there came the padding of many steps in the hall on the stairs, accompanied by audible expressions of disgust upon the part of our landlady. So all of a sudden, they hear a whole loud, loud ruckus going on outside the door, and the, the landlady's up in arms over what's going on. It's the Baker Street Division of the Detective Police Force, said my companion gravely as he Spoke there, rushing to the room, and half a dozen of the dirtiest, most ragged street Arabs that I've ever clapped eyes on. <laughs> Let me reread that. It's the Baker Street Division of the, of the Detective Police Force, said my companion gravely. As he spoke, there rushed into the room a half dozen of the dirtiest, most ragged street Arabs that I ever clapped my eyes on. Attention! cried Holmes in a sharp tone, and the six dirty little scoundrels stood in line like so many disreputable statuettes. 
In future, you shall send up Wiggins alone to report, and the rest of you must wait in the street. Wiggins must be the leader of the pack here. Have you found it, Wiggins? No, sir, we ain't, said one of the kids. I hardly expect you would. You must keep it, keep on until you do. Here are your wages. Handed each one of them a shilling. Now off you go and come back with a better report next time. At this time, make sure you only send up Wiggins. He waved his hand and he scampered away downstairs like so many rats, like rats leaving a sinking ship. And we heard their shrill voices next moment in the street. Oh, there's more work to be got out of the one of those little beggars than out of a dozen of the forest homes, remarked. The mere slight of an official-looking person seals men's lips. These youngsters, however, go everywhere and hear everything. They are sharp as needles, too. And all they need is organization. I guess which is Holmes is set out to do. <laughs> Organize this little, this little posse here. Is it on the Brixton case that you are employing them, I asked. Yes, there is a point which I wish to ascertain. It is merely a matter of time. Hello, we are going to hear some news now with a vengeance. Here is Gregson coming up down the road with a beatitude written upon every feature of his face. Bound for us, I know. Yes, he is stopping. There he is. So I guess old Holmes is just about to comment on his little band of merry kids there he has working for him. Then uh, he spotted Gregson coming down. He goes, oh, look at here. Look who's coming in to visit. There was a violent peal at the bell, and in a few seconds, the fair-haired detective came up the stairs three steps at a time and burst into our sitting room. Boy, he just could not wait to get up there, couldn't he? My dear fellow, he cried, wringing Holmes' unresponsive hand. <laughs> Congratulate me. I've made the thing as clear as day. Sounds like he solved the case. A shade of anxiety seemed to come across my companion's expressive face. Do you mean you're on the right track, he asked. The right track? Why, sir, we have the man under lock and key. And his name is Arthur, Arthur Compenche, sub-lieutenant in, in Her Majesty's Navy, cried Gregson, pompously rubbing his hands and inflating his chest like, yeah, look at me. I'm the one who solved the crime here. Sherlock Holmes gave a sigh of relief and relaxed into a smile. So in other words, Sherlock Holmes doesn't believe a word he's saying. Take a seat, he says, and try one of these cigars, he said. We are anxious to know how you managed it. Will you have some whiskey and water? I don't mind if I do, detective answered. The tremendous exertion which I have gone through during the last day or two have worn me out. Not so much bodily exertion, you understand, as a strain upon the mind. And you can appreciate that, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, for we both are brain workers. <laughs> that is true, though, with the, the brain worker thing. It's just like when people say, uh, like when you drive a long eight, ten hour road trip, when you get home, you're worn out. Because that's, that's heavy. Driving is heavy duty brain work and it wears the crap out of you. So, anyway, that was an interesting comedy. He compared him and Sherlock together as brain workers. You do me too much honor, said Holmes gravely. Let us hear how you arrived at this most gratifying result. The detective seated himself on the armchair and puffed complacently at his cigar. You know, you can just see him sitting there. Thinking, yeah, this is how it all went down. And suddenly he slapped his thigh and a 
paroxysm of excitement, a paroxysm of excitement. The fun of it is, he cried, that that fool astray, that rat-faced little fink who thinks himself so smart, has gone off the wrong track altogether. He is after the secretary, Stangerson, who had no more to do with the crime than the babe unborn. I have no doubt that he has caught him by this time. The ideal tickled Gregor so much that he laughed until he choked. <laughs> How did you get your clue? Asked. I asked. Ah, I'll tell you all about it. Of course, Dr. Watson, this is strictly between us. The first difficulty which we had to contend with was finding of this American's antecedents. antecedents. Some people would have waited until their advertisements were answered or until parties came forward with volunteered information. That is not Tobias Gregerson's way of doing work. You remember the hat beside the dead man? Yes, said Holmes, by John Underwood and son, 229 Camberwell Road. Craigson looked quite crestfallen. I guess Holmes just took the arrow out of his sails right there. Bursted his balloon. Because he didn't think he knew that. I had no idea he noticed that, he said. Have you been there? No. Ha! cried Gregson in a relieved voice. You should have neglected the chance, however it's small it may seem. To a great mind, nothing is little, remarked Holmes, sensuously. Well... I went to Underwood and asked him if he had sold a hat of that size and description. He looked over his books and came on to that at once. He said the hat to a, he had sent the hat to a Mr. Drebber, residing at Carpentier's boarding establishment on Turquia Terrace. Thus I got at his address. Smart, very smart, murmured Sherlock Holmes. I next called upon Madame Carpentier. Continued the detective. I found her very pale and distressed. Her daughter was in the room, too. An uncommonly fine girl she is, too. She was looking red about the eyes, and her lips trembled as I spoke to her. Oh, that didn't escape my notice. I began to smell a rat. You know the feeling, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, when you keep on the right scent and the kind of a thrill in your nerves. Have you heard of the mysterious death of your late boarder, Mr. Enoch J. Drebber of Cleveland? I asked the mother. The mother nodded. She didn't seem to be able to get out of the word. The daughter burst into tears. I felt, more, I felt more than ever that these people knew something of the matter. At what time did Mr. Driver leave your house for the train, I asked. At eight o'clock, she said, gulping in her throat to keep down her agitation. His secretary, Mr. Stangerson, said that there were two trains, one at 9.15 and one at 11, and he was to catch the first. It was that the last he saw of him. A terrible change came over the woman's face as I asked the question. Her features turned perfectly livid. It was some seconds before she could out a single word, yes, when it came to it, came, and when it did come, it was in a husky, unnatural tone. So she's definitely feeling like she's under the gun here. There was silence for a moment, and then the daughter spoke in a calm, clear voice. No good can ever come out of falsehood, mother, she said. Let us be frank with this gentleman. We did see Mr. Dribber again. God forgive you, cried Madame Carpanche, throwing up her hands and sinking back into her chair. You have just murdered your brother. So basically she's just going to rat on her brother. You had best tell me the story about it now, said Gregson. 
Half confidence are worse than none. Besides, you don't know how much we know. On your head be it, Alice, cried her mother, and then turning to me, I will tell you all, sir, do not imagine that my agitation on behalf of my son arises from any fear lest he should have a hand in this terrible affair. He is utterly innocent of it. My dread is, however, that in your eyes and the eyes of others he may be, appear to be compromised. That, however, is surely impossible. His character, his profession, will all forbid it. Your best way is to make a clean breast of the facts, I answered. Depend upon it. If your son is innocent, he will be none of the worst. None the worst. Perhaps, Alice, you had better leave us together, she said, and her, and her daughter withdrew. Now, sir, she continued, I had no intention of telling you all this, but since my poor daughter has disclosed everything, I have no alternative. Having once decided to speak, I will tell you all, without omitting any particulars. It is your wisest course, said I. So they're in there with uh, Gregson sitting down with uh, Holmes and Watson, and he's telling the whole of this incident how it went down with the lady and her daughter. And we're fixing to find out what kind of a guy this Mr. Drebber really was. I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's what's going to be next. So I'm sure Watson and Holmes are all ears. And here we go. Mr. Drebber has been with us nearly for three weeks. He and his secretary, Mr. Standerson, have been traveling on the continent. I noticed a Copenhagen label upon each of their trunks, showing that they had their last stopping place. Standerson was a quiet, reserved man, but his employer, I'm sorry to say, was far otherwise. He was coarse in his habits and brutish in his ways. The very night of his arrival, he became very much of the worse for drink. And indeed, after 12 o'clock in a day, he could hardly ever said to be sober. So the guy sounds like an alcoholic. His manners toward the maid servants were disgustingly free and familiar. Worst of all, he speedily assumed that the same attitude toward my daughter, Alice, uh -oh, and spoke to her more than once in a way which, fortunately, she is too innocent to understand. On occasion, he actually seized her in her, his arms and embraced her, an outrage was caused his own secretary to reproach him for his unmanly conduct. So the, this uh, Drebber sounds like a real, uh, a real piece of work, especially chasing after a little kid. But why did you stand for all this, I asked. I suppose that when you get rid of your borders and when you wish. She, she could basically throw him out of there. Mrs. Carpentier blushed at my pertinent question. Would to God that I have given him notice on the very day he came, she said. But it was a sore temptation. They were paying a pound a day each, 40 pounds a week, and this is a slack season. I'm a widow, and my boy in the Navy has cost me much. I grudged to lose the money. I acted for the best. This last, this last was too much, however, and I gave him notice to leave on account of it. That was the reason of his going. So I guess this Mr. Drebber has someone else to deal with, and when he finally decided to uh, go after the little girl, the mother had enough and threw him out. Well, my heart grew light when I saw him drive away. My son is on leave just now, but I did, tell, I did not tell him anything for this, for his temper is violent and he is passionate, passionately fond of his sister. 
When I closed the door behind them, a load seemed to be lifted from my mind. Alas, in less than an hour there was a ring at the bell, and I learned that Mr. Deborah had returned. He was much excited and evidently worse for drink. He forced his way into the room where I was sitting with my daughter and made some incoherent remark about having missed his train. He then turned to Alice and before my very face proposed to her that she should fly away with him. You are of age, she, he said. There is no law to stop you. I have money enough to spare. Never mind the old girl here. Come along with me now straight away. You should live like a princess. Mm -hmm. Poor Alice was so frightened that she shrunk away from him. But he caught her by the wrist and endeavored to draw her toward the door. I screamed at him, and at the moment my son Arthur came into the room. What happened then, I do not know. So this guy is literally trying to drag that young ladies out of the house. I, if I was a son, I'd kill him myself. What happened then, I do not know. I heard oaths and the confused sounds of a scuffle. I was too terrified to raise my head. When I did look up, I saw Arthur standing in the doorway laughing with a stick in his hand. I don't think that fine fellow will trouble us ever again, he said. I will just go after him and see what he does with himself. With those words, he took his hat and started off down the street. The next morning, we heard of Mr. Drebber's mysterious death. Aha, so this is why Gregson thinks it's the boy. This statement came from Mrs. Carponche's lips with many graphs and pauses. At times, she spoke so low I could hardly catch the words. I made shorthand notes of all she said, however, so that there should be no possibility of a mistake. So this was quite, quite, quite the, uh, quite the little session here they had with that, with that lady. It's quite exciting, said Sherlock Holmes with a yawn. <laughs> What's boy? <laughs> Don't get too excited there, Sherlock. What happened next? <laughs> He's bored to tears. When Mrs. Garbanche paused, the detective continued, I saw that the whole case hung upon one point. Fixing her with her with my eye in a way which I always found effective with women, I asked her what hour her son returned. Must have given her the old, uh, the old, the old evil eye there. I do not know, she answered. Not know, I said. No, he has a latchkey and let himself in. After you went to bed? Yes. When did you go to bed? Well, about 11. So your son was gone at least two hours? Yes. Possibly four or five hours? Yes. What was he doing during that time? I do not know, she answered, turning white to her very lips. Of course, after that, there was nothing more to be done. I found out where Lieutenant Carbonche was, took two officers with me, and arrested him. When I touched him on his shoulder and warned him to come quietly with us, he disanswered as bold as brass. I suppose you are arresting me for being concerned in the death of the scoundrel Drebber, he said. We had said nothing to him about it, so that his alluding to it had more suspicious aspect than we think. So they are already suspecting him just because of the fact that he is being arrested for the murder of uh, the scoundrel, Drebber. Very, said Holmes. He still carried a heavy stick with, with which the mother described him having as with him as he followed Drebber. It was a stout oak cudgel, so a big old stout billy club. What is your theory then, asked Holmes. Well, my theory is that he followed Drebber as far as well as Brexton Road. 
when there a fresh altercation arose between them, in the course of which Jabber received a blow from the stick and the pit of the stomach, perhaps, which killed him without leaving any mark. The night was so wet that no one was about, so Carponche dragged the body of his victim into the empty house. As to the candle and the blood and the writing on the wall and the ring, they all me they may all be bells so many tricks to throw the police on the wrong scent. Well done, said Holmes in an encouraging voice. Really, Gregson, you are getting along. We shall make something of you yet. I flatter myself that I managed it rather neatly, Detective answered proudly. The young man volunteered a statement in which he said that after following Drebber for some time, the latter perceived him. He took a cab in order to get away from him. On his way, he met an old shipmate, took a long walk with him. On being asked where his old shipmate lived, he was unable to give a satisfactory reply. I think the whole, I think the whole case fits together uncommonly well. What amuses me to think of Lestrade, who has started off upon the wrong scent. I'm afraid that he won't make, make much of it. Why, by Jove, he's the very man himself. Here's the very man himself. So I guess Lestrade just showed up. It was indeed Lestrade who ascended the stairs while they were talking, who now entered the room. The assurance and jauntiness which generally marked his demeanor and dress were, however, wanting. His face was disturbed and troubled, while his clothes were disarranged and untidy. He had evidently come with the intention of consulting with Sherlock Holmes, for on perceiving his colleague he appeared to be in and put out. He stood in the center of the room, fumbling nervously with his hat and uncertain what to do. This is the most extraordinary case, he said at last, and a most incomprehensible affair. Ah, you find it so, Mr. Lestrade, cried Gregson triumphantly. I thought you'd come to that conclusion. Have you managed to find the secretary, Mr. Joseph Stangerson? The secretary, Mr. Joseph Stangerson, said Lestrade gravely, was murdered at Halliday's private hotel about six o'clock this morning. And that's the end of chapter six. What a thrilling chapter that was. I'm going to reread this for, for review for next time, for next week. But there's quite a bit of information in here. They have a summon in jail. They arrested the son for murder. And as we've seen, Holmes is yawning through the whole thing because he doesn't believe a word of it. And now his partner, Lestrade, threw a wrench in his theory because, come to find out, the uh, secretary for Drebber has been found murdered at a private hotel. So the case is getting more and more and more interesting every time we read a chapter. And, and like I said, when I go over to next Sunday when we get together again, I'll do, I'll do a quick reviews between one to, th one to four. And I'll do more of an in-depth review of five and six. So the last two chapters will be a good review. And we'll just keep going forward that way there because I'm spending too much time on reviews. But uh, Which I want to do, though, because I want to make sure everybody's always on the same page. Because it's getting very exciting, this book. And uh, I'll just make a quick comment that uh, another reason why I like to keep up with the characters in the book, a lot of times when you uh, get a series of books, like, for example, like Stephen King books, for example, 
the characters in some of his books always show up in, the, in other books. It's like the characters are actually part of the whole ongoing uh, affair of the of whatever the stories are about. So it's always good to have a good grasp of the characters when you're reading something like this. Because I'm sure these characters show up in book two, three, four, and five down the road. So this is why I'm very big on, on uh, explaining who the characters are. As a matter of fact, in chapter 6, when I start reading uh, chapter 7, sorry, what I'll do is I will uh, go ahead and update the character list up to this point. Because we've got a couple of new ones in here. Actually, we got three. We've got three new characters. We've got the mother, the daughter, and the son. And the son's been accused of murder, or charged with murder of Drebber. And so if you, if you keep track of the characters, it's easy to keep track of the story at the same time. That's how I feel anyway. So, Well, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I, I hope I'm getting better at uh, reading for you. There, were, there are still a few words here I'm struggling with. But hey, what can I tell you? This is all new to me. I really enjoy doing it, though. I'm very happy I'm doing this for everybody. I, hope, I really hope you're enjoying it. And if you do enjoy it, please spread the word. I'm trying to see if I can get a real big following base on my podcast because I, I consider this a lot of fun. And I hope you guys do too. Okay, that being said, like I said, next week I'll give a good review of 5 and 6 before we jump into Chapter 7. And uh, I hope everybody's enjoying the podcast. And I know I'm, I'm enjoying this immensely reading for everybody. I, I, I find it so much fun. This is a, a new thing for me and I'm, I'm very happy that you're listening. And for those of you who think that I'm doing a real crappy job and I should stop, well, just stop listening if you don't want to hear it. That's all. Simple fix. If you don't like it, don't listen. But for those of you who are enjoying it as much as I do, welcome aboard. This is a lot of fun. Okay, I hope everybody has a great week. And we'll talk again next Sunday. Thank you.